Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, I'm privileged today to have online with me Dr. Yusuf Salibi from the lower part of the state. Welcome, Yusuf. Well, Robert, uh, it's good to be back. Well, I'm glad to have you on the program once again. And if you would, tell my audience a little bit about yourself in case they missed our uh, the first podcast where I had you on. Sure. So um, I'm uh, a Georgia doc. I went to the Medical College of Georgia and then did my postgraduate in North Carolina and practiced emergency medicine for almost 20 years before switching over to my second part of my career in functional and integrative medicine. And that's where I practice now. I have two offices in near Myrtle Beach and near Charleston and uh, see a lot of uh, specialty cases, although we are generalists, almost like family medicine. Gotcha, we gotcha. see it all eight years and older. I see. I see. Now, how many folks you got working with you? Well, right now I've got uh, about 18 or 19 employees, and then I have uh, three wonderful nurse practitioners and PAs that help staff and uh, see patients with me. Good, good, good. Well, the topic for today is Lyme disease, which I, I think is one of your areas of interest and uh, a forte of yours. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I became one of the first Lyme literate doctors in South Carolina member of ILADS and trained under the uh, tutelage of uh, Dr. Horowitz, Richard Horowitz, who is a world-known Lyme doctor. I got you. I got you. Well, I, I have an interesting anecdote that I'd share with my audience, that, and I'll let you go and talk further after that. But I had a former employee at my office who she left our office to go work elsewhere, Um but she was a very lively young lady. She could talk the ears off of a donkey. And um, I took her on a mission trip with me to Haiti. And we were sitting in the Atlanta International Airport. And uh, I looked across the uh, terminal, and there was this gigantic man with a white, blondish-looking Fu Manchu mustache. And I thought to myself, I know this guy. And then I realized it was Hulk Hogan. Well, she spied him, and she made a beeline over to sit right beside him and just started chatting him up. That's just her personality. And in five minutes, Yusuf, she had him laughing uproariously, slapping his thigh and just just choking up with laughter. That was just her personality. Well, fast forward a little bit, and she had moved on to work somewhere else, and she comes in my office one day in a wheelchair. And she looked awful. I mean, I mean, she lost weight. She couldn't walk. And um, she told me that she'd been diagnosed with MS. And she was not getting better. And, and, I mean, it looked to me like she was not long for this world. Well, the next time I saw her, she came in and she was actually walking and told me that she had been misdiagnosed with MS. Turns out she actually had Lyme disease. She was being appropriately treated, and she was actually getting much better. 
Now, is that is that a common scenario? Robert, yeah, actually, that's a very common story that I hear. Uh, we have folks coming in with uh, a whole host of autoimmune disorders. Uh, there's about 120 or plus autoimmune disorders like MS or ALS, um, and uh, they they have uh, also things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, and it's all having to do with an underlying cause. Uh, related to tick-borne illness. Uh-huh. Now, I'll say that, you know, we call it Lyme disease because that's what people understand. That was discovered in, you know, old Lyme, Connecticut back in the 1980s. But the tick itself can give you about 18 different types of infections, uh, even in one bite. So you can get Lyme, which is Borrelia. You can also get Babesia, Bartonella, anaplasma and the list goes on so it sometimes is a combination and uh, what Richard Horowitz uh, defines it Lyme is too narrow a diagnosis so we call it MSIDS multiple system infectious disease syndrome which is a syndrome because it can be related to multiple infections and co-infections now that's amazing that is amazing well, now, how do you parse all that out? And how to, Well, first, just talk about symptoms, and then we'll go to how do you parse out all the different potential infections. Right. Well, the spirochete that causes Lyme disease is very closely related to the spirochete that causes syphilis. And back in the day, in the late 1800s, syphilis was called the great masquerader or the great chameleon because it you know, you could have multiple different stages and different types of complaints. And nobody should be shocked about anyone coming in the office with an unusual complaint. And that baton was passed in the 1980s to HIV. You know, when you have an HIV infection, you're immunosuppressed and all kinds of things pop up as symptoms and even things like cancers and unusual types of pneumonias and things like that. Well, I would have to say that Lyme disease then took over as the great masquerader. So it could be as subtle as a little bit of a headache to arthritis in the wrists that might mimic osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis to very severe cardiac manifestations and neurological manifestations. And it's said that 50% of people with Lyme disease have some kind of psychiatric manifestation, something like depression or anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, or even what presents as frank psychosis. So it's a whole myriad of different things. And I would have to be honest with the audience and say there's no two Lyme patients that have absolutely similar uh, manifestations. Everyone presents quite uniquely. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's an amazing thing. And, you know, I've, I've, when I worked, I worked on the psych ward, as a medical consultant for 14 years at our local hospital. And it was gratifying to see the psychiatrist testing just about everybody that came in for Lyme disease. Uh, They were savvy to the fact that Lyme could cause psychiatric illness. And, uh, And they tested just about everybody that came in for Lyme. And when I first was a medical consultant. I really didn't understand why they were doing that. But over time, I began to comprehend because so many came up positive, were treated appropriately, and some of their psychiatric, not all, but some of their psychiatric issues would abate. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, kind of a shining example of such a case on a, a somewhat of a celebrity would be Tommy Hilfiger's daughter, Allie Hilfiger, who was first diagnosed with, with what was supposed to be psychosis, was admitted to a, a psychiatric hospital in New York State where they eventually found out it wasn't psychosis, it was Lyme. She was treated appropriately. All her psychiatric features resolved. And then uh, a few months later, she wrote a book about it and went on a book tour. This was a few years ago. Wow. Her book was entitled Bite Me. And it's a small little book, but it tells her story of how she was misdiagnosed initially. Man, well, you can see how easy that is to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, what other manifestations are, are common? I mean, I, everybody knows to look for the little bullseye rash that may or may not show up uh, with with the Lyme disease. What what other manifestations right. are there? Sure. The uh, bullseye lesion only appears in about a third of cases of acute that then go on to chronic Lyme. Uh, you can have unusual rashes, headaches, migratory arthritis. That's arthritis that pops up in one joint and then migrates to another and uh brain fog so cognitive uh impairment is another manifestation and then there are rages uh, especially if you have co-infections of borrelia and bartonella you can get these rages where where especially in children and young adults Uh they'll actually rage out of no you know spontaneously just rage and start throwing things around and yelling and then as quickly as it comes on it goes away and they're back to normal that's a very unusual feature and it's scary to parents and family members oh, yeah I so uh, those those are a list of a few of the things uh, that one sees and and the the bad part of it is it's very difficult using serology that's blood work to figure this out because most of the common uh, most of the common uh, laboratories like LabCorp and Quests, they do a Western blot, which is kind of antiquated and will miss a lot of cases. Immunoblot therapy is a much more advanced type of diagnostic tool. And even then, it can miss cases. So a very, very good history and physical exam is needed to identify and uh, make sure that we're dealing with that and nothing else. Well, now, how do, how, how do you... Um, approach the the history when you have somebody like that so that you don't miss so, you know I don't I know that's probably not many doctors in my audience but how do you approach that history so that you don't miss diagnose someone well you try to take a family history uh, to include anything with autoimmune diseases family members pets uh, roommates in college let's say who may have had Lyme disease if you've had a pet with Lyme or if you were an equestrian around horses a lot, your risks go up. And then there are certain areas of the country, the northeastern part of the United States, uh, West Virginia, and uh, even in California, in the out, uh, you know, take a history of somebody who's an outdoorsy person. They're always hiking or camping right. uh, or they're on top of a horse brushing against uh trees and, and, and grasses mm-hmm. that can pick up ticks. I got you. The other part is that there's there, there's usually uh, a history of a tick bite, even uh, you know at the age of five or six years old, for example. So it could be many, many years ago. But there are people who acquire Lyme 
who do not have a known history of a tick bite. So, um, you know, you, you want to make sure you address uh, immune function. Are they susceptible to infections? Do they have immune dysregulation? Um, do they have a good working gut? Uh, that's important because a lot of people will get Lyme disease, but it doesn't manifest. And then they get exposure to Epstein-Barr or a motor vehicle accident or a divorce or something that stresses them out, and it will re-express. It then becomes expressed. And in recent times, in the last three years, we've realized that the COVID infections can activate chronic Lyme disease, and uh, the vaccines can also even more so. Uh, so we have people coming in with the impression that they have long covid when in fact they've got an activation of their chronic Lyme disease, which they may or may not know they've had. And it kind of uh, actually the treatments for long COVID don't seem to work so good. Uh, it's only until you discover the Lyme part of the puzzle that you can then start treating and see results. Gotcha. Well, now, <clears throat> what, what kind of – go back to the lab testing now. So what – what kind of lab testing is best utilized, say, by a family doctor who's got a patient in front of them that's just got bizarre symptoms or symptoms they just can't put the pieces of the puzzle together? Sure. So the basic ones, uh, there's a laboratory in California called Igenex or Igenex, I-G-E-N-E-X. And they have been on the tip of the spear for developing very accurate, um, broad spectrum coverages of both basic Lyme and co-infection panels. Another lab would be Vibrant Wellness. They also have a panel very similar to Igenex, which, um, again, doesn't miss that many. I mean, it's, it's a much broader uh, scope, and they use multiple organisms they test for, not just the one organism that's usually found in your basic LabCorp Quest tests. Right. Another, another test you can do, there's other inflammatory markers, myeloperoxidase, uh, CD57, which is a natural killer cell analysis. Uh, there's many CDs, but CD57 seems to be associated with chronic Lyme. And if your number falls below 60, that's uh, indicative of, of a, a Lyme in, chronic Lyme infection. And another thing that doesn't cost a penny is the Horowitz uh, questionnaire. It's a multi-question questionnaire that if you score above 62 on the final score, you're likely to have Lyme disease. Oh. And that can be done by anyone in any office, even online. There are ways to find it and take the test online. And like I say, the higher the score, the worse condition you have. And more likely to have Lyme. Yes, sir. All right, but it doesn't specify which Lyme you have. It's, it's one of the of the multiple infections. It's just Lyme in general. Right. So there are a few Lyme literate doctors out there that do not use serology blood testing to narrow it down because of its inaccuracies, even the best tests. They use clinical diagnosis. For instance, if you have uh, unusual rash, uh, very, very bad pain that's multi-joint pain and pain in the bottom of your feet um, and what we call stria. It looks like uh, stretch marks. Mm -hmm. That might be Borrelia. Right. 
um, I'm sorry, uh, that would be Bartonella. Okay. Now, if you have drenching uh, night sweats or day sweats, and you have shortness of breath and air hunger and extreme crushing fatigue, that might be Babesia or Babesiosis. Uh-huh. So there are some, you know, an astute clinician can ask the right questions and get that kind of history and narrow down the diagnosis. And if need be, serology testing by either Igenex or Vibrant can help narrow down that diagnosis. Well, now, is it critical to, to to parse out whether it's babesiosis or Bartonella or, you know, one of the others, or or do you just treat based on your suspicion? Well, you can start treatment by challenging a patient with certain botanicals or antibiotics, but if you're not seeing a, um, advancing in uh, improvement, then you need to kind of narrow it down a bit. So there's different you know, theories about how best to do it. Do you save the patient money on the diagnostics so they can afford the therapeutics? Or if, you know, some patients will demand that, you know, I want to know exactly what I have, and then you do the blood tests. I got you. But, yeah, so there's a couple ways you can do this, different paths you can take. But there are some botanicals and some antibiotics that cover the whole spectrum. Um, And I think probably in the next episode we'll talk about treatments. I understand. I understand. All right. Well, okay, have you got some examples of, of folks that you've diagnosed yourself that you could share with my patients? Well, sure. One comes to mind, uh, a fellow that's from Georgia. He's an avid hunter, so he's up in his deer stand all the time. We were also talked about having multiple ticks on his body when he would come back down. And um, he was an aviator. He, he owned a business. And uh, when and he, he came in because he thought he might have been vaccine injured. So for a year, he went to about 15 different doctors and nobody could kind of figure out what to do with him or what the diagnosis was. Some people denied the vax injury. Some people just threw their hands up and they didn't know what to do. And he was extremely frustrated at the point of almost being suicidal. And then he finally found us and we realized that you know, there was probably a vaccine component to this and uh, COVID illness and COVID vaccine to why he was behaving like this. Tremendous cognitive impairment okay. um, and uh, depression and insomnia. He only would get two hours of sleep a night. And we diagnosed him with Lyme disease. I mean, just from the history of being a hunter. Right. I mean, that alone, you know, said, well, we should rule that out. And we did. And we found out. He was positive for Lyme and a couple of co-infections. Once we started treating him for that, he improved. And within five months, he was about 95% better. He was able to fly. He was able to go back to his, you know, hunting with his friends and live a more normal life. Now, there's been a few lingering symptoms of migratory pain, but we're working on that. But now he sleeps seven, eight hours a night and is on well on the way to recovery. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. Give me, give me another story. That, that makes me want to shout. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, you, if you want another example, um, there are some teenagers. Uh, I have some patients in the practice, 14 to 16 years of age. They're the ones that are usually suffering from psychiatric manifestations, anything from seizures to behavioral changes to rages. 
And uh, we had one, uh, actually, she was much older. She was in her 20s, very brilliant uh, marine biologist from New Jersey. She came down here to work and um, became, frankly, psychotic. Um, She was admitted to the psych hospitals. That didn't help. We diagnosed her with Lyme disease. And within a few days, actually, of starting doxycycline, she improved mentally enough to go back to be able to go back home to her parents in New Jersey. And, um, you know, she stayed pretty much, uh, very in remission. If we would say we use the word remission instead of cure, but unfortunately after about six months, she came back down South because she liked uh, the area and she had a flare up. And we think that actually what might be flaring this up might be mold, um, a mycotoxin illness that has triggered her, Lyme to flare up again. Mm-hmm. So we're now in the process of trying to get her back on treatments to, to get this under control. I got you. I got you. Well, that's interesting. Well, look, we got about four minutes left. Have you got any concluding remarks that you'd like to share with my folks about diagnosing Lyme? Well, I think it's important to, for your listeners to know that if they go to their mainstream medical non-Lyme literate doctors and get a diagnosis of things like multiple sclerosis or Parkinson-like syndrome. Uh, Several times you'll see a patient see two or three different neurologists and they're all, you know, arguing back and forth about, well, is it Parkinson's or isn't it? I mean, there's some features and there's some that are not. And uh, anything like ALS, um, any kind of autoimmune disease should be a red flag to check for Lyme disease, and uh, you need to find a physician uh, who is knowledgeable about the diagnostics and treatment of Lyme, because frankly, it's not very well embraced in the South. Um, Up in northern uh, states like New Jersey, New New York, Pennsylvania, you have more um, experienced doctors with Lyme, especially from the acute Lyme aspect. But in the South, there are still some infectious disease doctors around that say you can't get Lyme disease in South Carolina. And I know for a fact, because by observation, I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times in my clinic, people who have never left the state of South Carolina who have full raging Lyme disease. Mm. So that's my kind of take home message. Yeah. 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 I have a a personal acquaintance who, who's uh, not from this state though, who's, whose son had, a psychiatric illness, and the psychiatrist that treated them immediately tested for Lyme and mold and uh, treated their son appropriately, and he improved significantly, not completely, but significantly with treatment for Lyme and treatment for mold. And um, and it was a pretty striking improvement in the young man's life. And so, you know, that, that I appreciated that psychiatrist being aggressive in that way. Well, Dr. Salibia, I, I appreciate your, your being willing to talk to my audience about uh, Lyme and the fact that it is in South Carolina, not just a northeastern uh, problem. And uh, I, I would love if you'd come back uh, another time and let's talk about treatment and how we deal with Lyme disease. Would you be able to do that for me? Absolutely, Robert. It's always a pleasure to talk to you uh, about Healthcare issues. Well, I appreciate it. 
You're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. My guest today is Yusuf Salibi. He's a physician from the lower part of the state of South Carolina, a functional medicine expert. Dr. Salibi, I'm delighted to have had you as my guest today. Good to be here. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.